Thank you, Phil, and, and musicians, and good morning, church. It's good to, uh, to be together as, as God's people. Uh, we're going to uh, open the scriptures now. We're going to look at uh, a passage from, from the book of Numbers. And if you've read much in the book of Numbers, but we're, we're diving into Numbers today. Numbers chapter 11, starting at verse 4. We're going to read two sections in chapter 11. Numbers 11, verse 4. The rabble, that's people that go, have left Egypt with the Israelites. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites, this is a collective group, started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people ran around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves. And it tasted something like something made with olive oil. When the Jews settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the, prom the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat people, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favour in your eye, oh, sorry, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favour in your eyes, do not let my face, me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I'll come down and speak with you there and I'll take some of the power of the spirit that's on you and put it on them. They'll share the burden of the people with you so that you will not carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you'll eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You'll not only eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before me saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? And then going across to verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them down with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hata'ava because there they buried the people who had craved other food. 
so far our reading. Uh, as Phil has mentioned, we're continuing our way through the seven deadly vices, and uh, this is the next vice that can grip our lives, gluttony. Now, I see this through, it seemed a little bit strange uh, that gluttony makes a list of seven deadly vices. You know, do you think that maybe it's a bit of a stretch to consider this, uh, this a vice or a sin or something that grips our lives? Because I don't think too many people get hurt by eating too much, perhaps for their own health, or maybe there's a, a fight over the last piece of cake at a family gathering. But why is it there? Or you might be thinking gluttony. Well, this is just going to be a sermon that's going to uh, shame uh, overweight people. Because that's the general picture we have of someone who's a glutton, isn't it? They have these uh, marks of overeating, being overweight, being rude, being drunk. That's sort of this caricature that we get of someone who is a glutton. But I think it'd be wrong and, and uh, oversimplistic to say that somebody who's overweight, if we see someone who's overweight, they must be a glutton. Just as, as it's uh, simplistic, uh, overly simplistic to say, well, somebody that uh, can easily fit into their skinny jeans mustn't have a problem with gluttony. And we all, because we all know how it goes, isn't it? I know there are some people that can look at a plate of food and they put on a kilo. And there's someone else that can eat three Big Macs in one sitting and seem to lose weight because we're all built a little bit differently. So we're not here to shame people about being overweight, but we are going to talk about gluttony because it has made these list of seven deadly vices. And so we have to ask the first question, well, what is gluttony? We know it has to do with something with eating and drinking, uh, so it probably doesn't surprise you that a dictionary definition is excess in eating or drinking. But when I read that, I thought, well, that leads to another question, who determines what excess is? What's excess for me? What's excess for you? And how's that going to impact you or me? And so we need a, a broader definition if we're going to fit it into a biblical concept and uh, something that may, we may consider a vice. Because gluttony isn't so much about the food we eat or how much food we eat, but being preoccupied with food, regardless of how much or how little we eat. And so gluttony... Uh, is this preoccupation that distracts us from greater the greater things, God. It, it's this idea of an excessive pursuit or uh, concentration on other things. I mean, it's, it's, it can include other things. Uh, we talk about um, net, Netflix binging, that idea of, of excess with uh, watching Netflix or addictive sport watching or video games. But the focus today and the focus that we're, we're picking up is to do with food. And as we work through it, we, we discover that, along with the other vices, that the gluttony has to do with the heart. has to do with heart. It has to be a heart issue if it's going to, because it's impacting our lives. And uh, it's um, a habit of the heart that, in, in one sense, seeks self-gratification. Uh, it's an attitude of the heart that drives us to, uh, to love an, an overindulgence in something or an over-preoccupation with something. William Willman, in, uh, he's written a book called Sinning Like a Christian. It's an interesting title for a book, isn't it? Sinning Like a Christian. He writes this about gluttony. Gluttony plagues all manner of people, 
It plagues the person who carefully weighs the carbs in their diet, who relentlessly scans the fat content of, of the portions, or who drives all manner of miles to buy exclusively organic food. It plagues that individual as much as it plagues the beer gutted t-shirt wearing, wing-eating lug. It affects all people. Why? Because gluttony is an overindulgence, an overestimation, an overpreoccupation with food and its hold on our lives. And so we we need to, to, to think that through, but we need to start with an understanding and a reminder that it is good to eat. It's good to eat. Uh, in Genesis, God provides food. He looks on what he's created and he says it is good. It is good. The writer to, uh, of Ecclesiastes insists in chapter 9, Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. God's approved of your eating. And he adds in chapter 10, For a feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry. It's good to eat. God, eating food is God's gift to us. We're to delight in it and it sustains us. Food tastes good and when we eat it, it uh, gives pleasure to our taste buds. Uh, it gives us the pleasure of, of feeling full and, um, and feeling that, that life is good. And I, I think a lot of our favourite memories uh, of gatherings is often around food. It's often around food. Uh, we, we, uh, and, and time spent with people as we eat together. We, we did that last night with our small group. We had a, a Christmas feast together uh, and it was an enjoyable time. We have these times around food. So then why is it that something like food, something that is good, something that we can enjoy, how does it become sinful? How does it become a vice in our life? Well, again, it's got to do with this concept of disordered loves, an issue of the heart. It's something that is legitimate, that it's proper, that it's a gift to us to enjoy, um, has become improper and disproportionate in the way that we view it. And so gluttony is this enjoyment of food that is um, untethered from contentment in God and it governs the love of our life. God's, in that sense, is no longer the exalted one, but the gift that God has given us is what we exalt. Food then becomes an idol, an idol that replaces our first love. And committing idolatry, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before me. We've elevated food above God, the gift above the giver. And so it becomes, again, a heart attitude. It has to do with how much attention, how much time, how much energy, how much money we spend on things to satisfy, in this case, our stomachs and our tastes. And there's nothing wrong with eating, with enjoying that in and of itself. It's when that become, it dominates us, dominates our thinking, dominates uh, uh, our desires for, uh, for pleasure and for, for, for good things. And so, okay, we, we've got this broad word, an idea of gluttony, but what are the different aspects of it? And uh, back in the, in the Middle Ages, Thomas Aquinas, uh, he laid, laid out uh, five um, everyday expressions of gluttony in his, um, in his writings, the Summa Theologica. He, he puts five different aspects of gluttony 
And Rebecca de Jong, in her book, um, Glittering Vices, takes these five categories and she forms an acronym to help us remember it, an acronym called FRESH. And we'll just work through FRESH. The first is fastidious eating, or as Thomas Aquinas would say, eating too daintily. And the word fastidious simply means difficult to please. Difficult to please. I mean, anyone who's a, a parent with a young child knows that children can be fastidious eaters. Uh, everything you put before them, they complain about or they don't like or they don't want to put into their mouth. They're picky eaters. But we need to uh, broaden that or expand that idea. In this screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis describes a woman who was a fastidious glutton. He writes this. She's a positive terror to hostesses and servants. She's always turning from what's been offered to her to say with a, little demure, with a demure little sigh and a smile, oh, please, please, all I want is a cup of tea, weak but not too weak, and the teeniest, weeniest bit of really crisp toast. You see, because what she wants is smaller and less costly than what's been set before her, she never recognises as gluttony her determination to get what she wants, however troublesome it may be to others. And so people with uh, eating disorders would be those type of people that would engage in gluttony this way. Um, I have a sister who is almost impossible to prepare food for. Uh, she's built this long list of, of foods that she just can't or won't eat. Oh, could I I just have the pasta dish, but uh, without the sauce, because there's some spice in the sauce I don't like, uh, without, or not, certainly not with the mushrooms, maybe just a few spinach leaves on top. So fastidious eaters may not eat too much, but in the end, their pleasure is the focus of their experience, along with uh, this focused determination to do whatever it takes to get what they want and the way they want it. And so maybe if your eating experiences are constantly being let down because the food isn't exactly what you want, it's not to your taste or your desire, uh, it's not exactly what you expect it to be, maybe fastidious gluttony is something you need to think through. Maybe you're struggling with it. The second in the acronym is ravenous eating, or as Aquinas would say, eating too eagerly. <clears throat> this type of eater wants to make sure that they, they get enough, especially when there's some sort of competition for the food. And as I was putting the sermon together, I was thinking about today, we've actually got lunch together afterwards. Uh, and it's this idea, you go in and you check what's there for lunch, uh, and you're not sure that everything you want will be there the second time round. And so you pile your plate high the first time around to make sure you get everything you want because you don't want to miss out. Your greatest fear is the disappointment of going back a second time and finding that someone's taken the last piece of pizza. And so you've made eating more or less a, a competition, afraid that someone else is going to take away your ability to fully satisfy yourself and your desires. And it's a dangerous way of approaching food and eating because it pits you against other people. It leads you to view them as some kind of threat to you getting what you want, fulfilling your desires. 
It also distorts the occasion for food. And there's an example of that in, uh, in the church of Corinth. Paul uh, writes to the church in 1 Corinthians 11. He writes about the Lord's Supper, but as he leads into that, he highlights this problem in a sense of gluttony that's a prob- become a problem in the church, and he has to speak against it. And uh, he writes there about the early church that, that are coming together and they're holding fellowship meals. They come together and enjoy a meal together, like we're going to be doing after. Uh, but for them, it was they come together, they eat this meal, and it culminates in them uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And evidently, what Paul has heard is that they're behaving badly in respect to this. Uh, some people are, are coming to church early and they're eating all the food before anyone else arrives. And so some other people are coming a bit later and there's nothing to eat. And so they, they go home hungry. Uh, he highlights an issue about maybe they're drinking too much of the wine. They're getting drunk on the wine that is meant to be for their celebration of the Lord's Supper. And what he's highlighting is that something that is uh, meant to be spiritual, something that is meant to uh, promote fellowship among believers has been ruined because uh, there are some uh, people eating too eagerly, some ravenous eating, gluttonous believers, and he calls them out. We also then uh, have ravenous, sorry, excessive eating. Eating too much is what, the way Aquinas puts it in his writings. And that's usually what we think of gluttony, isn't it? The excessive eater is exactly that picture, what it sounds like the person who eats too much eats more than they need to eat. And uh, it's probably the thing that we'd, we would highlight in our Australian context, this uh, increasing um, obesity crisis that's, uh, in, that's impacting our society. What about you and what about me? I don't know if you've ever said, oh, wow, I ate way too much. Or if I take one more bite, I'm going to explode. Or I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Maybe you need to think of that as gluttony. that excessive eating. It's what uh, Solomon picks up in Proverbs 25, verse 16. I love this. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. You've eaten excessive and you throw it up. An excessive eater doesn't intend to do any harm. They're willing to risk and overlook the consequences in order just to have that last Then they talk about uh, sumptuous eating or eating too expensively is the way it was uh, talked about in the Middle Ages. Focusing on the quality of food that grabs our attention, that becomes the focus of what we're doing. We focus on that, on that which is created for us rather than the creator. And the sumptuous glutton is all about having food that is good enough and having an experience as they eat the food. If you go to a restaurant to eat, you, you want to go to the finest restaurant. You want to go to a restaurant that uh, has at least one Michelin star, not McDonald's down the road. And in ancient Roman society, when uh, a lot of this came up in the New Testament, it was not uncommon for the wealthy people to throw these lavish banquets, given a great expense, lasting for days and often turning into drunken orgies. 
Or even think back to the series we did on Esther when we looked at uh, the Babylonian Empire and the feasts that go on just in the book of Esther and some of them lasting days. It's that idea of eating lavishly and expensively. And even today, it's amazing uh, what some people will pay for food and for drink. I had a bit of a, a research uh, and each year, Sublimotion in Ibiza, Spain, ranks as the most expensive restaurant in the world. Here's what they write about their restaurant. Sublimotion only allows 12 diners to partake in gourmet cuisine prepared by a team of 10 Michelin star chefs each night. The concept pairs cuisine with technology and staging to turn the table into a stage and its diner into a star. How much? It says an average cost of 2,000 US dollars per person, June 2023. 2,000 US dollars per person. The uh, early church fathers would have considered placing that kind of value on food, gourmet gluttony. But there's two writers today, Fraser and Remus, who refer to this new type of gluttony. They write this. The new gluttony coexists with the old, but instead of too many calories, it craves refinement. Instead of the chili fries, it orders the glass of aged port and the imported cheese. Instead of being frowned upon as indulgent and wasteful, it's applauded as a mark of sophistication. Sumptuous gluttony, still gluttony, by any other name. And I don't think we normally think of that idea as gluttony, but it's all about, remember, it's about gratifying the desires of our heart through, uh, in this case, food and the experience of food, focusing on that at the expense of all things. Nothing else matters but that. And lastly, they talk about hasty eating, eating too soon, being uh, mentally consumed with what and when you eat. Hasty eaters will often put another uh, spoon of, of food in their mouth before they've even finished swallowing the one that's there. Hasty glutton is seen in the person who's constantly snacking, who just can't wait to eat. Uh, maybe even when they know there's a meal coming up, they grab a snack because they don't think they're going to make it to dinner. They can't wait that long. Just think of uh, teenage kids as they come home from school. Can't wait. This type of gluttony is concerned with the attitude to food again, a preoccupation with it, an impatience when we don't get it fast enough, uh, our resentment when we're deprived of it. And uh, in the Old Testament, we find Esau, Esau with this distor distorted emphasis on food. Just reading from Genesis 25. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he's also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What, is, what good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear it to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank. He got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. He valued a full stomach over his birthright. 
His birthright, which was his spiritual heritage, meant nothing to him if he couldn't get food there and then. Was Esau about to die? It's doubtful. I think he's experiencing that sentiment that we sometimes exclaim, you know, hey, when's dinner? I'm about to starve to death. That's Esau. He sells his birthright to get that. So these are the five categories that people have unpacked to describe how gluttony affects our lives and in different ways for different people. And so, again, it's not a question of whether we're, we're fat or thin, but whether we're eating simply to, uh, to fulfill our own desires, our own wants. That's the focus. We elevate that uh, over our satisfaction, even in God. Knowing that God wants us to enjoy all that is created, including food, but what happens is we're, is we're so focused on the food that it, it spoils, our, in a sense, our appetite for God, our desire for God, who is the giver of these good gifts. It's exactly the situation we found in the text we read. Gluttony focused the, uh, the attention of the Israelites on food rather than on God who provides the food for them. As we pick up the story in Numbers. The Israelites have been wandering in the desert for a few months, maybe, maybe not even that long, maybe just a, f- a few weeks, and every day, God has miraculously provided substance for them, this, this uh, substance called manna to sustain them on their, their march to the promised land. But they quickly tire of eating manna. I'm sure if you think about it, there's only so many ways you can prepare manna. I mean, it talks there only about two ways in there too. Uh, you can hear people complaining, not manna porridge again. And the blandness of the manna prompts this rebellion, this rebellion of the people of Israel against Moses and against the Lord. And God's angered by this, but he's also patient and long-suffering. We read that God caused the wind to blow that brings in flocks of migrating quail right into the camp of the Israelites. All the Hebrews, the Israelites had to do was to knock the birds down, pick them up, And we read they did it by the baskets full. Verse 32 tells us that every person who caught quail collected no less than 10 homers of quail each. I think when we read the passage, we tend to to skip over that that quantity marker. But in my Bible footnotes, I read that 10 homers are equal to 1.6 metric tons. Each person. How many birds is that? Someone worked out of the size of the, uh, the, the quails in that area, 1,900 quails per person. Were they being gluttonous or not? What a, a pig out party. And that's exactly what the Israelites do. They, they pig out on quail. 1,900 per person. It would have gone off. And instead of giving God glory for the miracle of providing that incredible blessing for them, they binge. They binge on this greedy gluttony for this meat that's come their way. It does, as, as it says there, until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. They're focused on this meat and getting as much as they can instead of their master. Failing even when to note to give thanks to God. Neglected to recognize that God has blessed them. And we read God becomes angry at their response. 
read that while the meat was still between their teeth, the Lord unleashed his anger against them and sent a severe plague that killed many of them. The place where this happened was named Kibroth Hata'ava, which means graves of craving. That's where they buried the people who craved this food more than they craved the God who had provided the food for them. Now I thought this through and it sort of suggests that to eat anything without giving thanks to God for it or recognising that God is the provider for it uh, would put us in this category of, of gluttony. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with gluttony? Gluttony uh, is, in a sense, the silent, deadly sin of our culture, whether it's obesity issues or eating disorders or even uh, touching our own hearts and lives. We don't need to feel guilty about any pleasure we take in eating. Calling gluttony a vice or a sin doesn't imply that the food itself that we're eating or enjoying is sinful because God is the one who made food good. And so eating and drinking is meant to give us pleasure, but we can get dis disordered in our love for it and our, our drive for it and the focus that it brings to our lives. And so the first thing we need to do is confess our self-love, our own passions and desires to satisfy ourselves. That we need, that we've at times put the, the gift of food and the drive for it above the God who has given it to us. We need to call it out for what it is, a sin that God hates. We need healthy eating habits. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Think if we were to sit down and eat and drink, always giving glory to God, it would, it would change the focus of our eating sometimes that uh, maybe we wouldn't eat so much. Maybe we would eat healthier than we do at times. Uh, maybe we would take the focus off the food and give it to the giver of food. We need moderation. Moderate what we eat. Uh, the Bible tells us that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Uh, the uh, the uh, church fathers called that temperance, tempering our drive and our attitude. So as, as believers, we exercise self-control in every area of our life, which includes thinking about the way we approach food and eating. And we recognise that Christ came to save gluttons. We need to remember that uh, true and lasting joy doesn't come out of the perfectly cooked steak, the dining experience we've had, the, uh, the most filling meal that we've enjoyed, eating till we just can't fit another bite in. True and lasting joy comes from God through his son, recognising who Christ is and what he's done for us. And when we surrender our lives to Christ, our hearts and our lives, God is in, in the business of transforming and changing us. God's in the business of doing it. It's why uh, Jesus died on the cross, not only to save us, but to transform us and to change our hearts and our attitudes, even to the way we approach eating. And so while we need to deal with gluttony through things like moderation and eating habits, 
external controls and disciplines, in the end, it's only with the work of God through the Holy Spirit in us that we will change. Uh, the only way that um, we'll be right through this is when God, through Jesus Christ, becomes our soul-satisfying food, when our focus and our attention is on him. And our contentment is not in the things that come into our life, the good things that come into our life, but the good giver of those gifts. God satisfies all our appetites and desires, and so we look to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the food that we enjoy. We thank you for just the variety that comes our way each and every day. We thank you for food that, that, uh, that sustains us. We thank you for the gift of being able to taste and enjoy it. And so we pray, Father, to help us. Help us to use and enjoy food as you intend. Lord, help us to help others to experience the same. We confess that there are times when we get it wrong, when our hearts are fixed on the things around us, on uh, the way we approach it, the desire for it, the experience of it. We fix our hearts on those things and not you. Forgive us in, in Jesus' name. We know that we are blessed. Sometimes we, we forsake or forget that blessing. Forgive us. And Father, as we moderate our habits, as we seek to give you glory in our eating and drinking, as with everything, Lord, bless us in that. Give us a joy in you. Give us self-control where it's needed. Give us freedom where it's needed. Help us to be content with what is good and useful and to receive what you have given us with thankfulness. We pray that you continue to change us and transform us, to help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the giver of good things. We pray that you do that work through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.